This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. This podcast was recorded on traditional Denizal land. Welcome to Before the Peace. I'm your host, Jenna Moreland, and I'm here with my co-host and producer of the podcast, Trey Labashinsky. Hello, hello, hello. Today we are chatting with Doig River First Nation Chief Trevor McCaudahay. There was so much that we talked about with the chief as Doig seems to be growing so fast. We chat about the new urban reserve being set up in Fort St. John, a little bit about Trevor's past leading up to uh, being chief, treaty land entitlement, infrastructure improvements that were made and some future plans the nation has. There's so much to talk about. Yeah, the Doig has done so much in order to make the nation self-sufficient. The nation is one part of the original Fort St. John Beaver Band with Blueberry River First Nation. During the podcast, we talk a lot about the structures and the growth without really touching on everything that has happened in the band office to make this growth possible. Thank you so much to Shona, who is the yes. band manager uh, for Doig River First Nation. She sent me the annual report. Now, we can't talk about absolutely everything in that report, or we'll be here for a couple hours. There was a lot. There was a lot. Same with the chief. But I kind of want to whittle it down and just talk a little bit about um, how the administration and finance side of Doig River First Nation has improved as well. Uh, earlier this year, the First Nation received a financial management system certificate following an audit. This means their financial and administrative governance practices now meet FMB standards based on internationally recognized standards of financial records. Yes, that was straight from Shona yeah, wow. because it's super important and that's mm-hmm. really cool. In 2017, Doig River was awarded the Award of Excellence for First Nation Leadership and Administration. The admin and finance side of the nation was also able to reduce the nation's debt from 2021 to the fiscal year end in 2022 by 48%. They also updated their website, their social media. The nation is constantly implementing changes from every side, every department to run like a well-oiled machine for the good of their members and the community. We touch on how the chief and how Doig wants to make it a destination, not just for its members or surrounding communities, but across the country. They want people to come and visit and and see what they've been doing and, and what they have to offer. They've also grown their health and social development department. There's just so much going on. And I'll tell you right now, and we've said this many, many times with other people, but we're definitely going to need to talk to uh, the chief again. Or someone else with Doig because there's just so much going yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so beautiful out there. It, really it was is. a beautiful fall drive to go out there. And we got to see the passive house, the prayer house, I think is what yeah, they call yeah, it. They call it um, and yeah, it was just so beautiful to walk around, especially in autumn. Yeah. It was, the it was tea a nice arbor day. was fantastic. Yeah. Is, and just hearing some of their future plans, some things we won't really touch on right now, but. It's cool. They're, they're growing. <laughs> yeah. They're growing. They're, they've already grown really fast now, and they're planning on not slowing down anytime soon. And, and they're doing it with, I won't say with ease, but they're doing it correctly where they're not just growing and saying, hey, we're going to build this infrastructure and put it here. All sides of that is correct from the funding to everything. Like That's why I wanted to say the administration and finance side because that's a side we don't really talk about, You know, not only with First Nations communities, but... You know, in municipalities and cities in general, there's a select amount of people who care. I mean, reducing the debt by 48%. Like, that's like, can they come and help me with that? My goodness. Shona, if you're listening, uh, you know our contact information. (laughs) Help us. (laughs) Uh, So it's been a year since we started the podcast. Can you believe it? It's crazy, man. What a year. I know. I I didn't even fully realize it until we were on Moose FM mm-hmm. and uh, Dub brought it up when we did the interview. I yeah, it's been crazy, man. It's and like I said in the interview, I, I feel you know we were we were we were learning along the way until we got up to well, we're still learning, but once we got up to healing the hoop, it just helped us so much. Like it's almost like we found our footing, and now it's just the improvements are, are like the. 
not improvements, but just the learning is coming easier. And yeah. I feel like I'm more open more and more comfortable, comfortable yeah. talking to these leaders, to, you know, First Nation members. It's It's been awesome. And we have so many ideas planned for you guys. So just strap up your boots or whatever you're wearing. Put on your socks. If you're not wearing socks, put your feet on your table. If you're running, make sure your shoes are tied so you don't trip. And just keep listening to the podcast. And please, please reach out to us if you have anything. We still haven't heard from anyone. So I know. I, at this point, I think we're just doing a perfect podcast. <laughs> I, I think we're just amazing. But obviously, that is not the case. If there's something you want to hear about or if you have any guest ideas or any topics you want us to cover before the piece at energeticcity.ca, make sure you email us. And also, our social media channels. Jenna yeah. has been going hard doing that. I am not good with social media at all. So <laughs> she's taking the reins. So uh, what are our socials again? Because I keep forgetting. Follow us on Instagram at Before the Peace and on Twitter at Before the Peace underscore. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys. So reach out and make some comments and let us know what you think. All right, Jenna. It's the our favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> Let's get paid. <laughs> so I actually had a conversation with Steve Troyer the other day, who's a sponsor of the podcast. And it was a really great conversation. Steve was actually a big part of the reason that this podcast is a thing. So it, it was mainly his idea from the beginning. So I just want to say thank you so much, Steve, for everything you've done for us. I really appreciate it. Um, so this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of Troyer Ventures. Troyer's been serving our community and the energy industry with tank and back trucks since 2000. They're built on the principles of hard work, service, and community, and they are proud to offer the financial support to make this program possible. Never met Steve, but hey, I appreciate you, buddy. Oh, we should we should introduce you. I definitely you. <laughs> need to meet him. Also, shout out to Epscan Industries, building excellence safely. And we would also like to say thank you to Click for their support. The Cultural Learning and Innovation Circle is a non-for-profit society that offers mentorship, coaching, and training opportunities. If you guys want to directly support the podcast and everything going on at energeticcity.ca, all the podcasts, everything we have going on right now, we're, we're growing fast, similar to Doig River First Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, please go to energeticcity.ca backslash before the peace. All right, let's get to Chief McConaughey with Doig River First Nations. Born and raised, Doig River? Fort St. John. Fort St. John? Born, Fort St. John, raised in Doig. Okay. Um, most of my life, I think. I spent a little bit of time in, in the city. Uh, when my early teenage years, I had a spinal cord tumor, and it put me in a wheelchair. And uh, I had to learn how to live in a wheelchair. And As a teenager, hey, yeah. man. Yeah, so, I, so growing growing up in, in Doig, did you have to travel to the city a lot for like medical appointments and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, no, not too much. No. Just it's, it was just mainly the major things like uh, learning how to drive. Well, you had to take a driver education um, license for for my license and things like that uh, because of the hand controls and things I had to put on. Um, basically, being independent. And uh, learning how to live in a wheelchair, and it's uh, it's something different in the north, I tell you. But I'm pretty lucky that I have a lot of uh, family and friends, and and um, you know, Fort St. John's one of those those places. If I got stuck in a snowbank, the, the average person going by would help. Hundred mm-hmm. yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. Small town community. Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like you let it define you in any way. Like, you still do everything you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, all your dreams are coming true. Uh, I wouldn't say I mean, you're chief. <laughs> Come on, like, it's beautiful out here, and you you get to say that you're the chief of this. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you giggling at me? <laughs> it's just how you post that. Well, it's just funny. It was, no, it's a good question. It's so you became counselor in 1996. How old were you? No, in uh, it was in 90. 99. 99. Okay, I was. There was conflicting information on on the internet, yeah, as there cool. always is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In 96, I was. Uh, I actually worked in a land shop and uh, started as a liaison between uh, Alliance Pipelines and uh, Doug River. Wow. So I was the go go between and. Uh, 
handling a lot of the um, consultation. Back then it was actually called, um, we actually got a letter from industry and government and said there was a notice, a notice of industrial activity. So, so they just notified us that you know, things were going to happen out there. So if you have any issues with this route, please uh, voice your opinion by sending a letter in that never, usually never went anywhere. That's basically the way it started. So in, in 1999, how old were you? 99? Yeah. Math. <laughs> <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, I guess in 96, I was 20, so 23. Okay. So you're pretty young then to become a counselor. Is that... Yeah. Yeah? Um, well, it it depends. If you, if you feel that you can contribute to your community, I think uh, as long as you're legal, adult. Age doesn't matter. Age doesn't really matter, and uh, leaders really step out right away. Um, yeah, I would say, I would say because I wasn't scared to try anything and, uh, well, I experienced a lot of things as a young, young person. So it, uh, set me up for, you know, having more confidence and things like that and going to some facilities like, uh, some of the rehab centers and stuff like that. They, they... They actually uh, do coach you pretty good, and they give you some good skills to, you know, uh, build your confidence, and you can do it, and you know, really bring up your uh, just who you are. I think it really brings it out in you, and and uh, never give up. I think that's what pushed me through. So during your time as counselor, like 1999 to 2003. I mean, I feel like that was a, those were pretty big years. Maybe that's just because I graduated in 2004. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But so what were some of the big things that happened during that time? Do you remember? Big things during that time? Especially for a young counselor. Yeah. Were there some like memorable moments during that time for you? Uh, a lot of things on, um, you know, getting out there and, and being part of... Uh, Voicing our concerns, which you know really never were heard anyway, but we uh, we put it on record, and it's uh, it's been going on record ever since that any any kind of mitigation that we needed for any projects and any of our concerns with uh, um, sacred sites and things like that, they were all recorded, and we uh, did quite a few traditional use studies through Treaty Eight and through DOIG, and um, you know basically we mapped out the landscape on where. Critical areas of traditional, like our traditional uses that we we use in those areas, and hunting grounds and um, sacred uh, places where we, you know, collect medicinal um, herbs and just how we use the land, basically, and our footprint on the land. It it was all mapped out, so um, and it's always growing all the time. So fast forward 20 years, because it's been 20 years in the making, essentially, this treaty land entitlement, right? Mm -hmm. So you just signed, um, not too long ago, this agreement. Um, How many hectares of land do you get back? Um, In BC, about 15,000 acres. Okay. Somewhere in there. Is that a lot? I don't know. Um, considering the size of our reserve that we were supposed to, we, we were supposed to. Tree land entitlement was, uh, it happened in basically the, with our Montney Reserve, IR-172. A lot of our people were, we were seasonal, like seasonal people in the bush in the winter, trapping, and, and uh, in the summer we came back to where happiness dwells, I guess I'd say it in English should be. So everybody knows where that is, and that was our Motney Reserve, seven kilometers north of Fort St. John. And uh, when everybody got there to gather in the summer, um, a lot of the other families and stuff, um, some of them would still be coming in on land, and then uh, the treaty, the treaty uh, Indian agents would come and do head counts and stuff like that, and basically miscalculated 
how many members we had. And uh, shortchanged us and gave us between Doig and Blueberry. We once we were the Fortune John Beaver Band. It was about eighteen thousand acres or something like that. Is what we had, but we were, even then they counted us, short counted us. And then in '77, when the band split, um, basically it was almost a um, Blueberry wasn't Blueberry and Doig wasn't Doig. And then in when the first when they sold the Monty Reserve, I think it was in in the 50s, I want to say 48, 48, 50s, when it finally all changed. Some of our people went back there and they were going to come back for the summer and they uh, hit a fence. And uh, they came up to a fence and a farmer came and told them that you, can't, uh, you guys can't come back here anymore. And that was in the 50s. 50 or 48, somewhere in there. And that's when they were trying to figure out what was going on. And then they, that's pretty much when everybody, you know, um, realized that they sold the reserve and and there were no, basically they, we didn't have a reserve until, um, I can't remember what year now, in the 60s, somewhere and, in there. And when did Blueberry and Doig split? 1977. Okay. Formal split. They okay. used to still be one band up until 77. And um, when they did the two, three reserves, there's another reserve that we have, we share. Blueberry and Doig, it's a beaten reserve. 204. And 205 and 206 is Doig and Blueberry. Combined, all three reserves, a little over 6,000 acres. So then they short just changed us again, another 12,000 acres. <clears throat> so all three reserves got 6,000? Mm-hmm. Oh. In total. Whoa, okay. When it should have been at least 18,000 like it was in Botany. So that, that's the whole point of the, the tree land entitlement. And, uh, yeah, so there was um, injustice. And it was, uh, it was clearly... Uh, um, we won it through the claims, and uh, finally it came to in 1999, I want to say, 99 when I just became a counselor. Barb Davis was a counselor, and Kelvin Sr. Davis was uh, chief, the chief at that time, and um, we put in that they got accepted as a claim in specific claims, the TLE. And back then, they it just just off of paperwork, they they figured there's a you know a few thousand acres or something like that that it would turn out to be, but it uh, definitely did not turn out to be that. In the end, when uh, we got our specialists involved and they did genealogy, we you know we spent millions in in research and uh, researched all the family trees and who got missed in the count in the end. And uh, turned out to be pretty significant. So, basic blueberry probably got twenty, I think twenty-two thousand acres, something like that. And Doy got fifteen thousand on BC side. And then because some of our family members and our community members, we were seasonal, so we part of the season we were in Alberta. Okay. So we ended up with a five thousand acre reserve in Alberta. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And you became chief in two thousand and fourteen, right? 2015. So, I mean, this has been in the works for so long and so many people have worked on this. I mean, like you were a counselor in 1999 working on this, but I imagine there's been so many people that have had a hand in, in making this finally happen and maybe some people not even around to see it. Being chief and, and being here when it happens, was it really satisfying to like finally sign that agreement? Um, it was satisfying, but at the same time, it was, uh, it was kind of hurtful because, uh, I seen a lot of elders go and I seen a lot of people that actually witnessed the injustice that happened there and they're not, uh, they're not going to receive any of the benefits that is going to come from it. That's the, that's the sad part. So I'm happy and sad at the same time. Um. Yeah, took decades, right? Yeah, decades of decades. work with a lot of people that some couldn't see that. I know that mm-hmm. is really 
So it's it's pretty saddening when um like even my grandmother didn't didn't see it. Um and she lived through that that whole time and they they tell like the oral history is uh really strong still. So it gets passed on generation after generation and all the all of our uh, stories and it's um something you never forget. And uh, you know, it'll never be it'll never be quite, you know, okay. There's always gonna be some hurt over that. And uh, especially from taken from where we could have been, you know, seven kilometers north of Fort St. John and they put us forty to fifty kilometers away in the river bottom. And uh, you know, a quarter of the land that should have been. So right from the start, we didn't have enough land base to do any anything economical, or you know, it just uh, didn't really give you a fair chance. Yeah, it didn't yeah. give us a fair chance. So right from the start, get go, we were we were the underdog already. Um, so it was pretty pretty difficult, but we uh, hung on to our our culture and. Our uh, drum is pretty important to us, and our our uh, drumming um, dreamers, and the you know the teachings and the oral history and the stories keep carrying on. Well, that brings me to the the tea dance arbor. It's absolutely beautiful, and I saw it when for Do- for Doig days my daughter went, and it was so cool to see all the students in there, and they loved the drumming. But I have to say. The acoustics in there is unreal. Like, I I went in there when there was nobody else in there, and it was, like, in the middle, it's, like, silent. It's so cool. <laughs> like, the acoustics are amazing. So the drumming in there, that obviously is a part of it, right? Like, a part of the atmosphere and a part of what you create with these tea dances and stuff. It is. Yeah. It is really important, and um, like Gary Oker is um, one of our uh, one of our drummers, our main drummers, lead drummers is Sam Echo, and uh, we do have snares in our drums, the snare strings that go through, and <clears throat> a lot of a lot of um, a lot of it is the vibrations, and um, when they start drumming. Um, you know, it just it just gets it gets into you. You mm-hmm. just get you get into you get into the dancing mode, and you feel and, it like uh, in in your yeah. soul, like in your heart. It like gets in there and like yeah. doom doom. It's mm-hmm. so cool. <laughs> it is. It's uh, it's a lot of times we do we do we do tea dances for change of seasons, um, and just just basically a lot of a lot of prayer songs and and you know praying for. A good hunting season, a good trapping season, and not too cold, not too much snow. Just you know, um, basically every every with with uh, changes, the season changes. There uh, we lose a lot of people, and uh, we gain. You know, we gain. We have a lot of births too. So when we do lose people, we uh, have a tea dance for them, and the members will you know dance for the person that we lost and help them to heaven. And that's uh, it's really important to us. A beautiful yeah. send off in it a way. Is. Mm. It is, and it's a big part of our everything from funerals. Like we're our drum, our drummers. Um, you know, there is quite a few drummers still, but uh, our drum group, we get a lot of requests to go to all of the Treaty Eight bands for sure. I guarantee, like halfway Westmo. Um, Soto, whenever they request us to come and and uh, drum for them, profit, and um, yeah, we'll 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 do we do we do quite a bit for the families that you know, have lost ones. Do you have powwows in there? Um, no. No. We uh, powwow is more of a um, Cree, Cree. Oh, okay. And um, ours are tea dances. Okay. Yeah. Basically, with, that's what we have. With the arbor, when it was getting constructed, it was 
was Sam and Gary consulted as well with the structure? Like just, just going off of the acoustics note, like what work went in for consultation to make it the perfect structure for your guys' use? Um, everything here gets, gets, uh, gets community approval. And um, everybody has a hand in in uh, what what their the structures are going to look like, and a lot of them. We're building a training facility here, just on just up the next level, and it's going to be a, a lean-to design, like a lean camp lean-to, where we uh, usually set up our camps. And uh, even if you look at this building, this is uh, designed to to uh, our culture and way lean-tos and stuff are like the shapes of the building and stuff. And um, it's uh, it went through probably I think two or about two or three years of talking about it and things like that, and then uh, we uh, you know did a lot of fundraising things like that, and then uh, we got funded by a few different organizations. Off the top of my head, I can't remember which which ones, but it was. Uh, it was a pretty good project, and our membership finally landed on that that design. And then we called in another company from uh, uh, Slave Lake, Alberta, in that area, and they're uh, timber frame builders. So they came in and consulted with the council and Gary and Sam and everybody were involved in that, and then uh, said, "This is what the nation wants." And that's what came of it. We went. They actually went and looked at a few other, few other nations that had built their arbors, and that's where the, you know, you learn, you learn, you learn from, uh, from other people's experiences. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what not to do? <laughs> yeah, what not to do. And that's how that came about. And so the passive house is is that a church? You call that the church? Uh it's a prayer house. Prayer house. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm assuming an architecture or architect, I guess, designed it or something, right? Because like it's so unbelievably stunning. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it can't just be by just I don't know. It's so beautiful. How did you guys pick the architect to do that? Like, um, that was a yeah. That's uh, there are not too many people, not too many architects, not too many people are involved in in uh, passive houses and, and the way it's uh, low, you know, low energy. Um, mm-hmm. It's... Because uh, it's like something like 90%. Mm-hmm. It, it's more efficient, mm-hmm. right? It is. Like, it that's is. wild. Basically, it's heated off your body heat in the winter and it's uh, wow. it's got, you know, we it doesn't... With the heat exchangers and things like that, it's really well managed. And it's... Uh, um, well, you probably see all the solar panels on the side and yeah. things like that. So we're trying to we're trying to go as green as we can, and um, well, it's the mo- we actually won a few awards for it. It's the most northernly um, passive house okay. design, and um, it was a com- like the community wanted. They wanted a, a place for prayer, and there's a lot of you know different uh, churches that they go to. Some are Catholic, some are Pentecostal, some are. Um, so we just said, no, we're not going to put any crosses or anything on it. And we're just going to call it the prayer house because we, uh, we're, we want to be inclusive to everybody. Yeah. And then anybody can use it. Yeah. yeah. Anyone can use it and anyone from the community. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really great, it's great for the community. And, and, uh, in the lower level, we have a Head Start program for little kids and after-school programs and things like that. Language. We're starting to do a little more with uh, little kids and starting them early on the language and culture. Oh, and good. Yeah, we have a language language and um, culture department here. So they're, they're, gonna, they're starting to work with the kids and things like that, so carry on the traditions. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's uh, something to be proud of. That's, yeah. That's so awesome for yeah. long-term. Like, I feel... Just for the community in general, that's just such a, a great thing. Because before that, like, I think more and more communities now are maybe having those programs within them. But uh, before, it was just through elders, right? Just through knowledge keepers, like, passing on the knowledge story to story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
definitely. And we've been archiving a lot of our um, stories, and uh, we've uh, we've co we've uh, compiled quite a, quite a bit of uh, material over since, like even with the uh, Riddingtons, they've done they've uh, they've uh, helped our community out quite a bit through the '60s. Um, Robin Riddington. He came up and uh, anthropologist and started okay. uh, started documenting our people and and uh, our people let him in and um, we've got pictures and songs that were recorded by some of, some of our dreamers that were actually still the last one of the last dreamers is uh, Charlie Yahi and he passed in '79 something like that he was one of the last dreamers um, you know I could get into I can get into that whole that whole uh, subject, but um, it would take hours and hours. It just makes me so excited for the next generation of kids that are coming up. They're just they're growing up in such a different environment where it's so much more accepted, and and you know learning your language is sought after now. It, and more it, accessible. Too. Yes, yeah. it's exciting for like twenty years from now. What is this going to look like? And I'm just yeah, it's exciting to see it happening. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that goes into the planning process with anything you guys do in the community is the future as well. Yeah, we do We do put a lot of emphasis on um, like our comprehensive community plans and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're five years ahead, looking ahead from everything. Everything's documented, you know, the, the steps that we've taken and what are the next steps that we need to take and um, it's pretty exciting. Like we're uh, we're um, really, you know, proud of our our uh, heritage and proud of our culture, and uh, we really practice it. It's, it's it's getting stronger and stronger. If you look in the past, um, we have timelines of our TLE, and uh, <laughs> mine. It's just. Ugh. <laughs> but there's things like that. Like in the 50s, we weren't allowed to uh, seek legal counsel or anything like that. It was all in the Indian Act. And uh, we still have some... Um, you used to be you have to get a permit to go to Fort St. John or out of the leave the reserve to go see the doctor. And then the Indian agent, you would ask him, you need to see the dentist, so I need two days in Fort St. John. So what they would do is write you a pass, basically, hall pass. And uh, it gave you so many days you were allowed to be in Fort St. John. So if you, you know, the RCMP seen you walking down the street, they would check. They would check what your uh, your hall pass said. And if you weren't within the time, then you'd go to jail. And then the Indian agent from that covered your nation would have to come and get you, take you back to the reserve. It's just, I. <laughs> From what you guys, like, it hasn't been that long, and, like, the doig almost seems kind of young, in a sense, like, the reserve isn't that old, but you guys have done so much, like, so much. I mean, you have a, a resource development company, right? Um, is it Ujo? Or? Yeah, Ujo Developments. So, like, you have that happening, like, there's so much going on out here. I mean, the the church, the prayer house is stunning, and it's... I, I'm curious about the renewable energy because it obviously seems kind of important to you. Is it like, are you putting solar panels like on all the houses out here? Is that a, a plan for the future? We're actually in, in the works. Of, you are. Okay. Of, of doing that. We did the first 10 houses, I think in two years ago, something like that. Now we're doing battery backup systems. Like it's so expensive that, um, we just basically started with all the solar panels. Now we're doing the backup battery systems, and then we're going to do another 25 houses, I think, in the next two years. Wow. Um, just try to bring the cost down. of. So to uh, be self-sufficient, essentially. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we're... Uh, I, don't, I don't know about... Like, Doig might be young as a reserve and as a, as a place, but our people have been here from... Mm -hmm. You know, like say, with like with the studies they've done at Sequa, you know, yeah. over twelve thousand years that we've we've been here. So, 
By the way, that movie was so good. We went to it. Oh yeah, the documentary. Yeah, the documentary. Yeah. Uh, it was it was really cool to see like the dig kind of happening because we interviewed the um, archaeologists and stuff when it was happening. But it was it was nice to see them actually doing the work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fun, and was. of course, Gary always has so much to say, and it, it's great. I loved it. It was exciting, and the the Lido was packed. It was a full house in there. It was it was awesome. Sorry, continue. I just thought I'd <laughs> say it was really cool to see that history. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, so like our people have been been part of this this uh, landscape for a long time. So, and we've learned how to adapt and you know grow with it. And um, you know, I when I started in 2015, I took a look around and uh, really, you know, seen that uh, we needed to get going. We needed to be part of the local economy, and we needed to. Things needed to happen here, um, so you know we got together with our council, and and uh, we said we need we need to. Uh, you can't do anything without money, so we figured a way how to make money, and uh, since then we're uh, you know large investors in in uh, certain companies within Fort St. John. Uh, we're invested in one company that's across BC and Alberta right now, so we have a pretty good relationship with uh, with uh, some of the oil and gas companies and different you know um, industries. And it does it does and at the end of the day, it does boil down to relationships. Mm-hmm. So you know we have a pretty good relationship with a lot of different uh, organizations and different. You know, in different parts of the industry. Well, and and just speaking of you getting more into the local economy, I mean, the urban reserve, it's the first of its kind in British Columbia. Is that right? Yeah, that is. That is. It uh, it took a lot of took a lot of work, especially with the city. Yeah. And um, educating the city on what you know what it really means, like not to be you know afraid of it. It's uh, it's something where. I've always felt pretty pretty strong about it when a lot of people said, you know, they they say it all over media all the time on Facebook, you know, get off your ass and quit being lazy and and uh, go to work. Well, you know, help us. If you feel that strongly, you know, help us help us get there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can't we can't do it, do it alone. So um, a lot of work went into building a relationship with the city of Fort St. John. And looking at how we could uh, be a part of that e- economy, and um, um, can you, know, you just tell us a little bit about what the urban reserve is and like what it's going to kind of look like? Uh, basically, it's going to be a it's going to be a real game changer for our nation. Um, the only tax tax advantage parts of it will be for status card holders, basically. And um, and uh, the people that want to run businesses uh, basically have to, you know, have a status card to be tax free and things like that. Like, there's a lot of myths out there. All oh, those Indians don't pay tax. Um, like, you don't pay tax within pink pink land um, boundaries in 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 the province or you know BC. And uh, those pink the pink markings are uh, reserve, IRs, and uh, you have to work there to be tax-free. You have to buy whatever you're buying, your products and stuff, have to be delivered there and bought there, and you have to show a status card, and you have to actually sign for it. That's the only time you're tax-free. Wow. So, you so it's a bit of a process then. <laughs> it is, it is. And a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. Like soon as, as soon as I go to work on the other side of that, Entering Doiger First Nation sign, then I'm, you know, in the tax bracket of whatever, whatever I make it. If I'm making a good dollar, I'm paying thirty, thirty-five, thirty-eight percent tax, like everybody else. Yeah. But there's there's really not that many jobs on the reserve besides the band office and, you know, like public works and things like that. But uh, urban reserve will change change a lot of things for our people. Um, it'll bring us closer to the center and. We did a few best use studies, and there's within that Fort St. John and the peace, the area, so we'll we'll be able to serve 
service 7,000 status cards. Wow. So are you going to have like a secondary band office there? Uh, we will be, ha- we'll have some, uh, office and, and, uh, retail space there for sure. Okay. So like kind of a complex of different businesses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like our, our, I'm pretty sure that our, um, our lands are like the, uh, land code office and things like that. Um, cause we have to work with the taxation commission and with the, well, of course, BC mm-hmm. on how all that works. And, uh, we actually have to develop our own land tax laws and things like that that come there. And, um, yeah, we're uh, going to be mirroring the city's um, bylaws, things like that. You shouldn't be able to tell it's a reserve. Is there going to be a gas station there? There will be. Yeah, I've, I've, I heard that. Well, I heard there might <laughs> be cheaper everyone, gas. Everyone's been, there's been rumblings in Fort St. John about it, and everyone's super excited yeah. about the gas. <laughs> There's <laughs> like a co-op, like yeah. a couple streets down. <laughs> man, that co-op is nice, though. Yeah, I've been nice. there many times, and my kids—they love the ice cream thing. I don't know, convenience stores. It's just a, an addition. <laughs> I, yeah, the swirl or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but the location of the urban reserve is amazing. Like, it's that's definitely a growing area of town. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious like is it is it just the one section you guys have it, what's happening around that area is the city going to be developing it more um there's developers that are that, that are across the road from us okay. and um we do own that that 8.1 acre acres there and kitty on kitty corner to our 8.1 acres we own another uh 6.7 or something like that oh, on okay the, uh, i guess it would be the south southeast corner okay that like it's almost connected to the next parcel that we own and um we're thinking of putting you know pv mart or something like that oh yeah um so we haven't uh really gone out to see who wants to be a partner in those those areas but we do own 25 acres in fort st john and lots of it's light industrial and industrial nice yeah there'll definitely be gas station but there again you have to have a status card to get cheap gas oh is that part okay that's okay that makes sense then well but that's amazing though that like you're gonna have that opportunity available in such a sought after location like it's a really good location and a lot of people are going to benefit from that Mm -hmm. there will be there definitely will be like you know it depends on the volume if there's a lot of volume and sale um then there will be cheaper gas and we uh, we're a little tired too, and we go to Dawson, and it's like, what six cents six cents cheaper, ten cents cheaper? How is that possible? So maybe we'll uh, change the the way things are done in Fort St. John. <laughs> <laughs> they gotta sell it a little cheaper. <laughs> um, one thing I did want to bring up, you were you were talking about um, kind of some investors into the community and some businesses you guys have. Is that where the brunt of your guys' funding comes from for development for infrastructure? Or is it, is it like part that, part grant funding with the problem? Like, how does that work for you guys when you... Because it just seems like you guys have grown so fast, as we've mentioned, how, what kind of funding has gone in and where are the sources? Um, it's, a, it's a mix. Like, if we, can, if we can, you know, use our own source funding plus get some funding and to, to put a project through... That's what we'll do, and a lot of it, uh, like government grants, things like that, uh, we take advantage as much as we can. We have a really good team here that, uh, you know, no, we we call it the we look for the honeypots, <laughs> and uh, a lot of a lot of um, funding agencies and things like that, they just they don't uh, they don't get too many people applying. Um, they do get a lot of people apply, I should say. They get a lot of people applying, but just not um, not doing their applications thoroughly and not really putting, you know, putting skin in the game. So once you start putting skin in the game, then it's 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 a serious um, application. And a lot of times we do get quite a bit of funding. Um, even the Arbor was um, almost 100% funded. And... Uh, in the community garden as well, community right? Community garden as well. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Food, food security. That's a big thing that we've been thinking about too here. Um, 
you know, we do own a few ranches as well. And uh, we're looking to expand that. Um, we do own 11 sections of land. We own about 450 acres in and, uh, in and around Fort St. John, like right close to the city limit, um, that we're going to be doing some tourism, cultural tourism. Uh, we do own a, a rock quarry on the 271 road. And uh, we just put it into production not too long ago. And, oh. and uh, that's something that we're looking at. Um, What's going to happen there? Uh, basically, we need a lot of sandstone and uh, blasted rock and things like that for our base on in our uh, urban reserves, so okay. the aggregate and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So you'll you'll see us uh, moving some aggregate and things like that, oh. and preparing the sites. So the future of the doig, like I've had a few conversations with Gary Oker about like his ideas and where he sees the doig going. Where, what about you, like? What do you see for the future of the Doig? What do I see? Um, I don't want to have that perception of my hand being held out. You know, I'm going to make it with my hands. So I'm not going to hold my hand out and ask for handouts or anything like that. I'm going to make it. And, um, you know, I've always had a good work ethic and and being innovative and, uh, you know, what's the next thing coming? You know, taking advantage of the, the, you know, the next opportunity. There's a lot of opportunities, and uh, if you don't jump on it, you're not going to get anywhere. So I see a bright future for for our nation to be self-reliant. Um, Do you want to become a, like a destination almost? Um. Uh, not only for Doig, but I think for the general region, and I really want to, you know, be a, a place a, a place they stop to to take in some of our culture, and uh, Beaver Way. I think, and um, you know, basically, try and keep some of these people stopping in Fort St. John, you know, come check out our our uh, some culture and and uh, take part in it and. You know, go to town and get a hotel room, get dinner or whatever, and come back the next day and be part of it. So, you know, if we if we all work together, I think uh, I think there's some pretty good possibilities for us to be in that tourism industry in Fort St. John as well. Not only in oil and gas, you know, different things come and go. Mm-hmm. So, I think in the future it's going to be a tourism t- tourism thing that we have to look at. Um, each First Nation in Canada it grows at, at different rates. Uh, it just it seems from the communities that we've been to um, in the Northeast specifically, it just seems like Doig is growing and developing so fast. Do you believe that's the case? And if so, what do you think? Uh, what 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 do you attribute that to? Having a good team. Mm-hmm. Like for myself, um, I'm only one person. Yeah, I'm only, you're only as good as your team. And if you have a good team behind you, um, you know anything's possible. And we have uh, we have some really good people that we're bringing back our nation members that you know gone and got educated, and, and um, you know what they want to be. They're excited. They want to be a part of it. And um, you know we're like we're 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 just we're moving. And uh, hopefully everybody else can move in the northeast too as uh, as we do to keep you know keep things rolling in, in this part of the world. Well, I've heard from multiple people that they love working out here, that it's a very very good working environment. So, I mean, yes, your team is great, but also like just what you guys have created here is probably part of the reason why you bring in a good team. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's just even how you're talking, it seems like you uh, the you guys don't have the blinders on like you're thinking and different you're thinking about sustainability you're thinking about this that you know what i mean like you guys are thinking ahead as well do you think that's a, a big reason is just kind of your the thought process as a team i think i think that is one of the biggest things too and um you know the I'll give you a little bit of insight one of the things that we're really worried about especially with um the what's happening in the world now is food security mm-hmm. 
and um, we're we're looking at starting to uh, go into um, you know farming and uh, starting to grow our own crops and things like that. That's what we're looking at, and uh, you know I don't I don't have the expertise right now, but I'll go find it and they'll you know teach me the traits and our people will uh, I'm sure take over in the future. I know healthcare has been a huge issue. I mean, across the country, <laughs> but especially in, uh, in in First Nations and just accessibility. Um, with that being said, is it a challenge here in Doig, um, being you know an hour away from Fort St. John, and also you know what are some other challenges that the community has faced over the past couple of years as well? Remoteness mm. that is a big challenge. Um, is there a doctor that comes out here? Yes. Yeah. Travel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have a we have a doctor that comes here every two weeks. Okay. And, and he has for a long time, right? Yeah, he's uh, he's become a community <laughs> a, more of a friend Aww. than our doctor. So it's um, yeah, he's he knows everybody. Oh, that's nice. And uh, yeah, and he's uh, he's really enjoyable to have around. Anything medical up in up in the north, um, I. Like I talk to the chiefs all the time and their experiences with uh, the hot local hospitals and things like that. And um, you know, <laughs> I recently I, I ended up in the hospital. I had a urinary infection and uh, it went into my bladder and then it went into my kidneys and then it went into my blood. Boy. And uh, I, that's the first time that ever happened to me in like 32 years of being in a wheelchair. Um, so I got. Admitted at the hospital, you know, I had to stay in, stay in, um, in the emergency ward overnight, and uh, but I was treated very well, and um, like I, I have no complaints. You know, the nurses were nice, and and um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any any um, negative experience there. Um, I don't know if. Maybe they knew who I was or what was going on. They didn't want any heat, but uh, generally, I treat I treat people like how I want to be treated, and I don't need any special treatment just because I'm a chief. Yeah, um, that's that's one thing I don't like too. Um, I know. have had some good experiences with Northern Health. Not mm-hmm. all great, but some but some have mm-hmm. been good. So not a, not a, not. Everybody is bad in yeah, Northern Health. Yeah, like we no. have a lot of good yeah. workers no, in Northern I'm Health. Just, I <laughs> yeah. was just talking to Jenna. Like I was, I literally just had a procedure two days ago, and they, they were wonderful there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and being a journalist, I, I know some of the in and outs of, and I've heard some stories that haven't been published um, <laughs> on the hospital and, and stuff like that. But I mean, you're going to get that anywhere. Yeah, honestly. true. I, the the fact of the matter is, is there's obviously challenges, but. Um, so you mentioned before that when you were talking to some other chiefs, do you ever just like have a chief hangout? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a weird question. But like, do you guys get have, together? And yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we do every six weeks at the Treaty. Really? Office. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, what happens at these chief meetings? You guys just kind of shoot um, the shit. <laughs> well, basically, the the you know the political uh, things that are happening that affect all of us the same. Mm-hmm. Those issues are brought up and um, changes within Indian acts and things like that are always happening. So, um, yeah, there's always issues. Everything from health to education to generally the same things that uh, the regional district and the mayors and you know have to deal with all the time. Those issues come up the same with, the, with our communities. Um, there's really no difference there. We're always uh, getting shortchanged on funding, and and uh, yeah. Back to your question there about health. Um, we've been pretty lucky, I think. Uh, we've been able to bring in um, even through own, our own uh, source funding, um, laser. We brought in a laser acupuncture. And uh, to help people quit smoking and depression and uh, 
Like I've a, never even heard of laser acupuncture. I love acupuncture. So what is laser acupuncture? Um, basically, the same your uh, your pressure, the, okay. the points and things like that. They they just laser it instead of putting in a needle. Oh wow! And it yeah. helps with quitting smoking, smoking and um, dieting, just wow. anxiety, all kinds of stuff. And um, yeah. I'm trying not to say the name of the company, so. Um. <laughs> that's that's really cool, though. That's yeah. so innovative, and it's cool that you're bringing in these different things to try. It is. We're yeah. we're trying um, Reiki. We're trying yeah. all different kinds of things. It's not only, and we do our do we do do our cultural stuff too, and uh, you know healing in the bush and gema, finding those uh, experiences where it's. Uh, perfect place in nature and Gary would talk more about that he's our uh, cultural guy <laughs> I'm more of the economics and, <laughs> and uh, governance that's my portfolio and Gary does most of the cultural stuff mm. um, and then the I have two other counselors as well that uh, handle health and education and most of the social issues I handed that off right away. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, but they're better. They've, they're educated for it. And uh, Brittany just got her uh, bachelor's not too long ago in social work. So we have uh, Brittany, Br- uh, well, I almost said Brinkworth. I sh- she'll shoot me. It's Robertson. She just got married. <laughs> and um, yeah, she's uh, she's got the education. And then Star Echo is our other uh, counselor. And she's... Um, Got all. She's a kappa, and she's got all her designations for uh, doing a lot of work with finance. So she gets that portfolio, <laughs> and uh, keeps us in keeps us in line. And if we're out of we're out of sorts in our budgets, uh, her and the band manager will definitely uh, make make get get notice to us mm-hmm. right away. So you guys are are you? Is there a museum that's going to be? here or is that for Saqua? That's for Saqua right is. now. It is. Okay. Like right now our museum yeah is uh is the language and culture department. Yeah. Okay. We uh ran out of space. <laughs> <laughs> so we've our land shop uh because of all the reclamation and uh all the um restoration happening, we actually had to bring in a lot of new staff and we ran out of space. So we're going to build something in Fort St. John for some of the members that come of our staff that come from Fort St. John and um, we'll create more space and there's uh free up some space, free up some space. Our land shop doubles. There will be a museum here though, eventually, or is that Um, mainly going to be at Saquon? Mainly I think it'll be at Saquon. It's, um, it's, uh, owned by, well, you already know the three nations Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think it's uh, something we all share that we want to, we're passionate about our culture and we want to carry that on for generations. So I think we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, all putting our, uh, our efforts into growing that, um, you know, working with the regional district and things like that for, for uh, designations and different things. It's, uh, it's really something we've been passionate about, especially with, um, uh, cultural tourism, I think that's that's something that's going to be going to be big. And uh, you know, like in school, we never learned about uh, our local First Nations here. We learned about the Aztecs, and you know, so none, that's why nobody really knows. And uh, part of you know a lot of a lot of uh, part of the racism, I think it's just ignorance, just not knowing, you know, not knowing the. Assuming yeah. everything is tax-free, all the just the lack of education on everything. It is. Yeah. It is, and uh, yeah, like I even I owned a business before I was uh, chief in between my uh, counselor and chief time, and um, it's uh, it's not a. A lot of people are like, "Oh, they're tax-free," but corporations aren't uh, status Indians. So the government uh, definitely doesn't not lose a dollar. Mm-hmm. They know they know how to get their money. Oh, the government loves their money. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> they get their money. <laughs> yeah. This is just a follow up question talking about the TLE. Um, 
I know there have been um, some some issues with uh, some of the residents in the Red Creek area and Blueberry First Nations um, after the, the TLE settlement and just with consultation and everything and I've talked with some of those residents saying that the, their big beef is that the, the province weren't transparent with them. With DOIG, it seems like there's not a lot of chatter there with the TLE for DOIG. How, I, were, was it treated differently? Like, how did you guys handle consultations and everything? There's a, a part that the government is supposed to, supposed to play and uh, consulting the general public. And there definitely was some shortfalls there. Um, so what we did was we held uh, World Cafes, um, invited everybody, anybody that wanted to come and learn about TLE and our land selections and what we're doing and what it means. And I asked them, like, uh, I think we had about 250 people in attendance, um, MPs, everybody. And I told them, I said, ask the hard questions you want to ask. Like, what are you worried about? You ask those questions, and I had booths set up for taxation. Um, you know, what 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 we're thinking about for uh, development plans and those lands, where they are. and um, So communication was yeah, a big commu- part of it. Communication is a big part of it. And I shouldn't say I, my team, mm-hmm. um, you know, really did a good job on that. And uh, we even had our lawyer do it up on it. And... Uh, you know, we opened it up. So, any questions, anything like that, is on our website. Lots of stuffs on our website too. And um, if it wasn't Blueberry, if Blueberry didn't pick the Red Creek area, uh, we would have. And that's a significant area to, especially Fourteen John Beaver Band and the Beaver people in this area. In before settlers came, we used to have a lot of land battles. And because of the pressure in the east, the Cree were starting to come into peace, the peace territory, like really pushing on us. And they were getting pressure from the other side. So we had a lot of battles over territory and land and stuff like that. And there's a reason it's called Red Creek. Um, they said that, uh, you know, there were so many battles that a lot, so many people died that that creek ran red. Oh in that area. So that's that's like along, up and all the way up and down the Peace River, there's been a lot of battles with uh, with different, like Beaver, um, Dene, up in northern part of the Unlawdi and said, you know, no more, no more of this killing. Um, so that's, that's what happened and we all just try to fit, fit in and and uh, open up the area for certain people. To, but like, you know, um, there's been so much fighting over this land, uh, even when the gold rush days, you know, that's why the treaty was signed because we were, we were pushing people back. Too many people were coming through and shooting all the buffalo and all the game and stuff like that. And uh, back in those days, um, there was a lot of people going up to the Yukon and all over. Um, so we had to do something. And then the government stepped in and that's where we... They made us a bunch of promises with their mm-hmm. treaty and that's how TLE came about. Basically back then. Was, yeah. So it's um, it's a big win for our people, but at the same time it's a pretty... It's, it's sad that we had to... We have to fight over it a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, try and reconcile the beginning, and and uh, there should be more education for the general public, especially on treaties. Like if you live within Northeast BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, you're a treaty person. It doesn't matter if you're uh, living in Edmonton or whatever; you're within a treaty, and you have a treaty with the local nations. Um, and I think that's a, that is it right there is that issue of of people not knowing that they are a part of the treaty i think mm-hmm. that is the root of so much of the racism and everything because it's like the lack of education they just don't even know that they are a part of it mm-hmm. yep 
they don't they don't understand how how it all worked and worked and uh, you know how the land got divided up and things like that and how First Nations were put on the reserves and and um, yeah just mistreatment of the gov the government you know basically lied to us in our treaties and things like that um, it's too bad that you know the us of today have to pay for you know injustices of the past. Um, I should really look at that for the future. Yeah, we're uh, we're pretty fortunate, though, um, to still be here and still hold on to our culture. That actually brings me to the last question so perfectly. What does reconciliation mean to you? There truly will never be uh, reconciliation at 100%. Um, a lot of people throw that word around mm -hmm. nowadays and uh, um, true reconciliation is to be felt like I'm you know I'm included being inclusive we're all we all have to help one another and and uh, I think recognizing you know Recognition for what's happened in the past, and and uh, let's try and not make that same mistake in the future. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. Um, yeah, and it all starts with leadership um, and education. That's the biggest thing, especially uh, with the treaties and stuff like that. Like general public doesn't know anything about treaties. Um, you know, they don't know why why the settlers got to uh, uh, pick up land if they cleared it on their own, you know, and things like that, like how it got given to them. Mm -hmm. um, it was an agreement between the government for them to be able to do that with, uh, with the uh, treaty and the laws and things like that. Well, thank you so much for doing this with us and for having us out here. And I'm really excited to go and look at the, the passive house, the prayer house, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and also I wouldn't mind taking a walk down to the tea dance arbor and oh, showing you that. If we it's can, I so have, cool. this is my first time in Doig and I've been writing everything. Like from a news <laughs> perspective, I've written everything about Doig over the past two years and now I'm finally here. So I'm like really excited to potentially go see some things. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. For sure. Thank you. hope you guys enjoyed that episode and if you would please like to follow us on social media reach out to us on instagram at before the peace and on twitter at before the peace underscore and i will say this again i know we're not perfect but at this point i think we might be because we're not getting any feedback no emails coming to us nothing on social media so please Yell at us. Well, don't because it will hurt my feelings. But before the piece at energeticcity.ca is our email. If you have any program ideas or any guests that you want to see coming on, or if you want us to, you know, touch on anything specific on the podcast, please, please, please reach out to us. Again, before the piece at energeticcity.ca. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast again. I'm Trey Lapashinsky here with Jenna Moreland. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.